You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh. Proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. LFG-oz.com.au Or you could visit their store in Canberra. It's in the ACT. For all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. And here we are back in the room that is the Dice Men's secret recording studio somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere on a small, I don't know if we could say subtropical these days, it's been quite temperate, but a small, cool island recording episode 348, closing on the, I don't know if 350 is magical, but it sounds it. It's a great milestone. Yeah, and I am here in the Dice Man studio with my person that I know, Garth. <laughs> yes, yes, you are, Mark. Thank you very much. And with my good friend, Leon. Yes, I am here. I wasn't supposed to be here. I did a lie on the last episode and said I'm going to take some time off, which I thought I was going to, but I actually found myself with a few spare hours tonight. And, oh, you and guys... Leon, yeah? some amazing news to share with us all. I know the wrestling news has been insane <laughs> this week. Let me talk to you both that care deeply about it for hours on end. So this is why you've arrived in spandex, is that right? Basically, yes. <laughs> Where to start? It's been an ups and downs. But I won't talk about that. Just everyone message me. You know who you are. We can talk about it later. We're here to talk about board games and card games and blah, 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 blah. Well, no, Leon, yes? I was going to mention the birth of your lovely daughter, Scarlet. Oh, yes. yes, yes, that also did happen. Uh, you several... created life. Yes, I did. Well, I had a fair whack that that was happening, and then, yeah. So my wife had a bit of a bad sleep about a week and a half ago, and then we went into hospital just to make sure everything was all right, and they said, uh, you're going to have a baby. I yes. mean, to be fair, she knew that. She was nine <laughs> months pregnant. And she went, oh, duh. Yeah, so she should have been one day old as of recording, but she's nearly two weeks old. There you she go. is doing, she's living the dream of sleep, then boob, then repeat. What more could you want? Uh, very, very little, but yet here I am. Well, it's fantastic news, Liam. We're so glad you're here because we've got some exciting new games yeah. to talk about tonight. A couple of them. King of Monster Island. Had to be here for it's this. It's sort of the spiritual sequel to the King of New York, which is the spiritual sequel to the King of Tokyo. I'm glad you're here to describe it, Leon. Yes, no worries. And then another new game, straight out of Melbourne, apparently. It's Acropolis. Now. Yes, now. Well, not now. It's not Acropolis <laughs> now. It's Acropolis. And we'll talk about it now. Not quite now. And when we'll people are listening to it, it'll be now for them. Correct. Be a few That's days right, of course. And it, so. before we forget, of course, we want to thank our fantastic sponsor, LFG Australia, who supports us so much. Charles is amazing. And in this episode, especially we want to thank VR Distribution Australia, who've provided us with both of the games that I've just mentioned, which is amazing news because these both these games, hot off the presses, I think I've seen King of Monster Island being advertised, but I don't think I've seen Acropolis. So the newness, the hotness is what we're going to talk about tonight. Absolutely we will. And what, we should maybe take a little bit of a break, a little yeah. bit of a breather, a little bit of a relax. Everyone go and find a comfy spot, top up your glasses if you want, and we will come back after this break and talk about King of Monster Island. Hello everyone, it's Mark here, just joining you in a break in the action 
to let you know how you can get more Dice Men Cometh. What? There's more? Absolutely there is. You may have heard rumours of our secret episodes. Well, now it's not a secret, and I want to tell you how you get access to them. All you have to do is join us on Patreon, and not only will you be able to access these amazing secret episodes, which our current Patreons have been raving about, 90 to 120 minutes of fun and frivolity, all sorts of interactions with Patreon listeners, and also some red-hot top 10s, it's a much more relaxed, chatty style from the normal podcast, and everyone who has been listening has really been enjoying them. Not only that, you get a pair of exclusive dice. When you join up, you'll automatically be entered into a quarterly friends-only board game giveaway. And as I said, you can ask questions and interact with us as part of the secret episodes. And finally, you get to earn the title of official friend of the Dice Men just by supporting us. We appreciate the support so much of everyone that already does. And we love producing these extra episodes for you. I'm sure you would love it if you aren't already listening. So please consider checking out patreon.com forward slash Dicemen Cometh, seeing if you think it's a value for you. Anyway, back to the show. And after that very short but pleasurable interlude, we're back with the Dicemen Cometh episode 348. Now, Leon. That is my name and I am here. You have long been a man. (laughs) That is very debatable, but yes. Who Uh has espoused the virtues Mm -hmm. of one King of Tokyo. In fact, ever since, I'm pretty sure... The first game I ever played on the evening I met you long, long, long ago at the Hobart Game Society, mm-hmm. it was because you and I played a game of King of Tokyo. I believe it probably... was a, like a nerdy swap meet type thing. Yeah. And you and Trent were there and the table was set up and King of Tokyo was on it, which was, can you believe it, the hotness at the time. Mm. And it stayed the hotness for quite some time because there wasn't as many games out in yesteryear. <laughs> and yes, that is indeed where we did meet. And I have talked about it ever since. I yeah. would like to stop talking about it, but I just still enjoy it so much. Even on the most recent Patreon episode, plug, plug, give us money for really good content. <laughs> Uh, I rated it, I think it was like number two or three on, you know, family or get-together games that everyone should be playing. Well, only just recently, I had a game day with my wife and two of our friends who are, I don't know if I can still call them non-gamers because we're slowly but surely breaking them down. They're gateway gamers, they're they're newer Yeah, they're certainly new to the hobby. They've got two teenage boys and often, so Sarah and I will go and play games with the two adults we will I leave. You will. We will leave the games with them, and then they'll play them with their teenage boys. And in fact, I'm pretty sure they've still got my copy of King of Tokyo because they've been having such a ball with it. So it's still relevant today, but now we've got the newness, the hotness. I mean. Tell us a bit about this game, because it just actually looks amazing. Well, we probably need to mention the fact that there has already... Because King of Tokyo, by this point, is probably, what, nearly 10 years old or something? A better podcast would look up that stat, but it's at least quite a few years old. Mm. And they did make a sequel. They made King of Manhattan, which... Oh, no, sorry, King of New York. It's set in Manhattan, I should That's say. That's right. Uh, 
which I was, as everyone was going, yes, they've made a new one. Excellent. Brilliant. And then everyone played it and went, hmm. So it's still, you know, everybody against each other. It's not co-op in the slightest, but there's like middle minions on the board you've got to fight off. And certain way the dice rolls are slightly changed and you can actually move to different places as opposed to just, you know, one's in Tokyo fighting everyone and then that's it. And it just didn't, just didn't click. For some reason or another, it just didn't work. I think it slightly was slightly more complicated than the mm. base King of Tokyo, which is itself roll big chunky dice, do some fighting, fun to be had. Well, that was the thing for me is it just they didn't keep it exactly the same, but then they didn't make it different no. enough. Would you be surprised to know, Leon, if I told you that King of Tokyo? is 12 years old this year. Wow. 2011 was when it came out. Of course, designed by Richard Garfield. Yes. Designer of Magic, Android Netrunner. He's made a game with Forge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> King of Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, either way, so King of Tokyo, great. King of New York, not so much. And then that was kind of the end of it. We thought, well... Except about a countless billion expansions... Yeah, but they all came out and they're only little ones, little extra monsters and kind of here and there and everywhere. But you could use the monsters from New York in King of Tokyo, which is what I did and literally got rid of the extra box mm. of King of... Because I was never going to play it again. And speaking of New York, did I say Andrew Garfield instead of Richard Garfield? I uh, think you said Richard Garfield. Did I? But you, I mean... I reckon I, Andrew Garfield could design a game. I like would this. love to see a game designed by Andrew Garfield. He seems like the type that would. He's, he's the nicest Spider-Man really, isn't he? I guess so. I would imagine so. If, well, he if, does listen. If any of the things about Maguire are to be leaved, he's at least in the top two. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. But Hello to you, Andrew, yes. when you're listening. But now, what we have here is King of Monster Island. And it's not just more King of Tokyo. Mm. It changes up the game style and, dare I say, genre. Because <laughs> it is now a co-op game. So it's much, in the story-wise, we're much talking very similar to the, the path that, say, Godzilla went down in his uh, fictional history and that the first Godzilla film, you know, attacked Japan. Everyone was all scared. It was all horrible. It was crazy. And blah, blah, blah. Then in the subsequent films, other big monsters turned up and the humans were kind of went, maybe Godzilla's not that bad. Maybe we should maybe we should be nice to that one so we can fight off these other ones. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the story of King of Monster Island where this is island that this giant lava monsters have come off and people are just like, well, if they make it to the mainland, wherever that may be, things are going to go bad. What about those big monsters that have been tramping around for a while? Maybe we can maybe we can be nice to them and see if they'll go take care of the problem they for us. They can do the dirty work for us. So that's what you're playing as. You're playing as one of these big giant monsters and you can use any of the monsters from the previous games because at the moment with this base game, it doesn't really matter what monster standee that you use because uh, the way they were unique is a different mechanic in this game. Uh, up against a big old lava monster and all his minions to fight against, which is funsies. And there are lots of minions that you need to fight, and they are not going anywhere. They are going to be coming out every single round, and I'm sure you'll get to that, Leon, but they are also very annoying. Yeah, so not only in this game do you get to roll big old chunky monster dice, you get to roll not quite as chunky, but you get to roll boss dice. Because the way this game is no, set No, you up, don't. You don't get to roll them at all, Leon. Yes. Don't you lie to our listeners. It's not quite rolling. I will get to that in a sentence or two's time, Garth. Because in the middle of this game is a dice tower, which is a giant volcano <laughs> on the middle of a board that goes into different sections. And you're going to be dropping those boss die into that volcano. Now, a drop is not a roll, Leon. I, no. want, it, I want it recorded for posterity. Okay, I apologise. You will drop. drop dice, not roll. You will drop dice. Thank you. They'll 
be towered, will they? Sure. Does it matter? No, it doesn't. So I'm going to continue on. Okay. You will drop them into that dice tower, and maybe they will they'll sp- be caldered. You can't just make up words. Isn't the, oh no, a caldera is a dormant volcano. I don't know. It's not. It's not spewing lava actively. What's the opposite of erupt? Because they be. It's like an anti eruption. They go into the volcano and come out the bottom. Anti climax. <laughs> Anyway, I've left my beautiful little daughter for this nonsense, so let's carry on, shall we? You do. So you roll those die, and you don't. I drop them, God! (laughs) Drop them! The dice implode through the bottom of a volcano. And they go onto various sections of the board, and then they're going to stay there. So it is quite a cool mechanic that they could go anywhere on that board. Mm. I really like this. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't really think of this kind of mechanic being sort of put in other games, you know, where you are having the dice lay where they lie just because, and it's going to not only impact what they do, but it's also going to be the locations in which they do something about it. Yeah. And how many games are there? I mean, there are games where you place die there are, and dice. There are games where you roll dice, where you flick dice, where you throw dice. There are games with dice towers as part of them, but... Nothing like this placement where dice falling out of the dice tower affects the game so much. So it's it's very clever and not something I've seen before. Mm. Hats off to both Andrew and Richard Garfield. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So on the monster's turn, which happens every single time before one of us were to go on our turn, you're going to drop those die and then the boss is going to do various different things they're going to move to different section of the board they're going to possibly attack people there are three different of these large lava monsters you can fight against and two different difficulties as well so six different bad guys essentially you can play against just in the base box alone for this and they have big old standees that they move around on the board and they have their minions as well that come out based on the faces of their die that mm. land in several sections. You have things like the soldiers, which just attack in their section. You have the cannons, which, you know, is one of the coolest names ever, let's face it. And they attack everywhere on the board. You have the shield guys that shield the big bad boss. And then you have the builders. And these builders, ooh, well, they have issues, and I don't care for these builders, because what the builders hate do those ones. is they build crystals onto various sections of the board. And crystals can turn into massive pylons. And what can massive pylons turn into, Mark? Um, Portals Itchy butts Oh pile That's pile Piles yes Pylons can form into portals To other dimensions Where horrible monsters Can come out And that's one of the ways More horrible monsters That's one of the ways You can lose the game Mark If you go to pick out Minions out of the minion bag And there aren't any You could lose that way You could lose it From these pylons Another way you could lose it Is if one of our Big old bosses Our monster sorry Gets knocked out And it comes around To your turn And your friends Haven't revived you then we get overrun as well. Mm. And there's only one way for us to win. One way. And that is to cooperate. Yes, I know Garth, can't be thought. And destroy this big old lava monster. So that's what we're going to do. After they have dropped their die and done all their stuff, then it is our turn. And what are we going to do on our turn? We're essentially going to play King of Tokyo. <laughs> and we're going to roll the big old monster die and do the same old Yahtzee style. Keep some, put some aside, roll some more, see how we go. The die are a little bit different in this one, though. You've got your standard hearts, which regain your health. You've got your energy side, which gives you energy to buy power-up cards. However, 
In this game, you can get lots more energy because they multiply by how many dice that you have, which is a pretty cool feature. It is really, really cool, but we might come back to my thoughts on the energy. <laughs> there is the giant foot symbol, which you can use to move a section on the board, but you could also use it to stomp on your various creatures and even the boss in front of you and do one damage. Mm. Or there's the big nasty claw swipe, which does two damage. Oh, extra bad. Yeah. Then... We've got two other forms. We've got a star side on the die, and that star side is going to help you gain fame. Because these monsters, much like the boss also can gain fame, are going to get upgraded as you go throughout the game. And that makes things a little bit different every time that you play. The boss monster, as they gain in fame, they gain more abilities that are going to hurt you and hurt you quite badly. The second you gain one fame, this is where your character becomes slightly unique than everybody else's. Because you're going to choose one of the, I believe, six in the box and you get to pick one more than however many players there are, uh, allies that will come and join you. And these are humans, or other things similar to humans, that are going to come and try to help you take down this lava like lord. robot monkeys. Yes. So you've got robot monkeys that can come help you, and they're good for things like defense. You've got the army that can come and help you with offense. You've got the media that can come help you with your fame. Fake make news. You Fake news, this monster. And that's just another cool way to, like I said, make your monsters a bit more unique. And it's a really mm. interesting way to play this game. And on the back side of these cards, if you're not going to be using them, are player aids. So they're double-sided player aids, but there's two uses for them. So it makes sense because once they're on a certain side, they're going to stay on that certain yes. side. And I really like this. Yeah. I think it adds a really nice uh, level of variety to the game uh, because you actively want to choose these different allies as your games change. Yeah. So you get your first fame and you've got this decision to make of, do I want to do these allies? Because they all do different things. One's going to focus on a particular aspect of the game, whether it's going to be, you know, potentially allowing you to heal yourself and your others, uh, your, your fellow monsters better, or is it going to allow you to get more energy coming through? Or is it going to do more damage or this or that? It really allows you to focus a bit more on, I guess, the aspect that you either have a stronger character in or you're just interested in doing and i i like that i think it's really adds a nice little change to to otherwise king of tokyo and leon i know that you like me mm. were a big fan of the power up expansion and i know we yep. very much have said to people you don't play king of tokyo without the power up expansion because exactly. otherwise it's just generic monster A versus generic monster B. Mm -hmm. And my first thought when I saw this game was, oh no, there's no power-up. But it's like you've got two different power-ups because you've got the power-ups that your character gets yep. where they get more fame. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the power-ups from the these from the minion boards that are variable because you can pick different ones. Mm -hmm. It's very clever. Yes, and it's also one of those things, much like games like this, that would be ever-expandable. Mm. You could have heaps more of these ally cards. You could even have just little, um, possibly like little cardboard sections that cover up certain aspects of these cards to make them, you know, different levels of abilities different. Add in that kind of stuff, which would be an easy first expansion, and the variety just goes through the roof as it is. And then the final thing, which also adds a bit more variety, is uh, the wrench or the spanner, which you can use to help... Uh, get support mm. from the humans as well by they send boats to the island to help you out. And they, on these boats, will have things like die symbols as well as energy symbols, heart symbols to heal you, that kind of thing. And on your turn as a free action, you can activate one to use the symbols that are on there or you can turn one that's already been used previously back over so somebody else on their turn can then use it. So it all plays into the co-opness 
of this game. It's not just as simple as roll the dice, you do your turn, it moves on. You do really have to communicate on what you're going to be doing. I, I don't want to harken back to an old argument, <laughs> but I think they're ships. Oh, yes. Yes, they are ships. They are not boats, because that is a distinction. As, as an ex-naval man, Leon, I'm sorry, that's an important distinction. Yes. Continue. I, okay. I enjoy that you now have many, many, many more decisions when you're just rolling these dice. Mm. Yes. You know, because it, it used to be, I'm healthy enough, I just need to lay the smack down yeah. and that's it. Oh, uh, do I want to go into Tokyo? Do I not? Okay, that's it. All right, fine. Whereas now, you are actively thinking... Well, I'm in a section of the board where I'm two sections away from the monster. So I've got to get to that monster to kill him. So I need to roll a couple of feet to be able to do that. However, I also may have taken some hit or I may want to get a level of fame because if I get the next level of fame, that's going to allow my attacks to be better or for this to change or for whatever it is my ally ability is going to do. But also... There's another new mechanic, Leon, which is the locking mechanic. Oh, yeah. This is where the co-op really comes into it and changes it completely, that you can lock die onto any of the different locations around the board. Because on your turn, you will always roll six die. But in the game, it comes with, I think, like a dozen or so of those big, chunky monster dice. So what are you going to do with those extra ones? Could you get special upgrades to get more dice on your turn? Possibly. So if you do roll some die and you get some symbols that you can't really use, in the previous game, you kind of go, oh, bother, there's nothing I can do. Now you can lock them in these different sections, no matter what they are, and somebody else can come and use them on their turn, and then they kind of go back in the pool. And if you filled a whole board with these kind of locking dice and somebody needs to roll six on their turn, then you get to pick, uh, I guess we don't need the ones in a space when we're nowhere near. We'll take that back off the board and put it into my rolling pool. So the co-op nature of that really adds to it as well. The other thing is, as we saw, there's quite a large variety of ships that are providing that support, whether it's giving you another symbol, letting you roll another die, adding some attack, or there's there's a lot of them. And so to then have the have the ability of, oh, you know, we've got two over here, we've got two over there, what, what sort of thing do we want? And then when these ships get in and provide that support and they're able to provide it, because uh, I think you said on your turn you can either use the ability yep. or then it gets exhausted or yep. unexhausted so that the next person's ready to go. Mm-hmm. You're really working together. It's not just having your turn. And, and the nature of the ships is that in each section... You can place up to two. The mm. first one costs you three wrenches. Yeah. The second one costs you four wrenches. So that's that's hard to roll. Yeah, it's very difficult to do. Whereas if you've got assistance. one or two locked, that really changes your outcome. And and the game is is long enough where you will get benefit out of the ships. Yeah. Uh, it's not a game where you will necessarily be done in 10 or 15 minutes. It, it does ebb and flow a bit more potentially than, than King of Tokyo. However, there is one more hitch to this. Now, I talked about those nasty little builders as well mm. as some of the faces on the die that the big bosses roll. Mm. They can put out these crystals and pylons. The crystals go in the spots where you could potentially lock die yeah. in each of these sections. And then the pylons, they can take a space of one of the two spaces in each section where the ships, or canoe, if you will, <laughs> would go... So and they don't as far as we know, there aren't really any other cards yeah, that get rid of them. These guys were I don't want to I won't swear, they were doing moaning sounds and making moaning words <laughs> about how do we get rid of these crystals and these pylons and that kind of, I had to say it's kind of a timing mechanic of this game. We just kind yeah. of have to beat the guy and not worry about them, but just try and stop these builders and they were just like, No, nah, you've got to be able to get rid of them, this is too hard. Games are hard <laughs> these days. Back in my day, twelve years ago, blah, 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 blah. 
Well, I said <laughs> that maybe there's a card in the deck. Yeah. Because there is a deck of cards here, which includes events. Yes, the new events. Which may be a new mechanic again. Mm. Yeah. And I believe I counted precisely one card yeah. in that deck that removed pylons. Yes. Or whatever the it crystals. is. The, the crystal, sorry, that leads to pylons. So there is one card in there to shut up folk like you. And that is... <laughs> Yeah. One card out of a relatively sizable yeah. deck. Yeah. And surprisingly, when we played, not once has that card <laughs> appeared. No. But that is the game. The the boss rolls, drops the die, does their thing. <laughs> you roll your die, do your thing, set, you up your, your set up your mate for hopefully their turn. But then the boss die could completely change what the boss does. It's kind of hard to predict sometimes where the boss is going to go based off its abilities and its die rolls. And then you keep going until... You get hit down or they get hit down. So at first thought for me, I was like, there is no downside to this game. It's all good. It's great. People are going to love it. However, on reflection, my probably my major concern is that... So for people who own King of Tokyo or King of New York and want more, more, more of this style of action... Well, they might be disappointed to find out this is a co-op for a start, but it's yeah. going to give them a whole bunch more variety. They can use their old monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them more of what they love. My only concern is that people might pick up this game not having, maybe having heard about those games yep, and then pick this up and go, oh, this is the latest version. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to beat the crap out of my friends. Yeah, ah, monster. Ah. And then they find this, co-op nonsense where we all got to be friendly to each other (laughs) that to me that's the only downside that i can see of this game is for people who love that i'm gonna beat the crap out of you guys and i'm gonna kill you all you know i'm gonna win by viscerating everyone don't worry about the fame points i'm gonna kill everyone yep um that it's not gonna give them that but apart from that i really enjoyed it and you know i'm a big fan of the original so I really enjoy the new things that this game brought to the table. And I am also a fan of co-op games. So for me, it's it, doubly exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I would certainly recommend that if anyone does want to eviscerate their friends, and that's that's all fine and well around the board game table, <laughs> but maybe look at the back of the box or yeah. potentially the front of the box yeah. where it says fully cooperative yeah. Yeah. because it, it does tell you quite clearly what this kind of game is. Look, um. I think this game actually rewards multiple plays, mm-hmm. which is mm. funny to say because unlike maybe King of Tokyo where the variety typically comes in, the, the different monsters and what have you, the rest of it is just a, a, a smackdown. Yep. This one, the game ebbs and flows and you are playing and because of the randomness of the boss die, every game is going to be different because every time you're going, oh, there's a die over there and it's going to put down some... Um, crystals or it's going to have some shields going or these minions or whatever or the boss is going to go there or whatever you find yourself going I definitely want to kill this bad guy monster because we need to get this person this monster to zero but I need to be managing the minions and I need to be managing the crystals and all that kind of stuff it just then becomes so hard to focus on energy and there's a massive deck of cards there all of which cost energy to use and you will be revealing them um, and sometimes if they're events you'll be playing those straight away but apart from that you're buying stuff to give you maybe one off or, or permanent bo- boosts or bonuses 
the first time we played, I don't think anyone bought a card. Because, yeah, en- <laughs> because energy, when you're deciding, do I want to move with the die face? Do I want to attack? Do I want to get some fame because that's going to give me an ally board? Do I want to have some wrenches to allow my colleagues or my fellow monsters to then be able to build a boat or a ship or a canoe or some form of water-based vessel that has some ongoing bonuses? The, the little lightning bolt symbol doesn't really then become an important thing for me and I, and I don't think in the games I've played I've actually ever got any of those little tokens at all yeah no that's a completely fair point but to the counterpoint it could be the exact same thing we talked about that when you're talking about locking those die if you if everyone starts going right we're not going to go after the energy as a group but we will lock them here and there yeah. so if you roll some on your turn and there's a couple locked there like I said they multiply in this game so you could end up with like say 10 energy on your turn when you weren't even going after them and then you've got an entire three card board or spend two energy to wipe it and get three new cards to look for yeah. so or one person could be going I'm going to go heavy on the energy to power myself up and then kind of go from there well if you guys focus on other things so there's lots of different ways to go about doing it Leon why didn't you think of that strategy while we're actually playing the game? That would have been really helpful. Because we were so excited to be rolling and <laughs> dropping big old chunky dice. Uh, but I do have a issue with this game. Mm, not um, an issue? And it's a big one in the sense of component-wise being big, is that when you're sitting around the table, you've got that lovely lava dice tower in the middle of it. It, however, can stop you from seeing some stuff on the other side of the board, as well as you've got the big King of Tokyo and now King of Monster Island standees, Mm. and the minions are flat cardboard pieces on the board, as well as the die for the boss that are on the board still are the smaller ones, not the big chunkier ones. So again, some of them are a bit difficult to see because they get blocked out by the dice tower or those big standees. It's not a big deal. But it is a thing, especially if you're playing this with younger people who might not even be able to see over this dice tower in the middle of the board. That could be abstracted from a couple of different bits. So it's not a big deal, but it is a thing that could be an annoyance to some people. Other than that, yeah, as Mark said, this is the sequel that I, I guess I always wanted. When King of New York came out, I thought, okay... More King of Tokyo, but slightly more complicated. I got no issue with that. Yep. It wasn't until I played that game that I realized, hang on, simplicity sometimes is is the perfect thing. And sometimes games do not need to be more complicated. It's the same thing with like, uh, my example is say something like video games. People play video games and they go, how good would it be if this game was open world? Big, massive map to explore. And then the next game is that, and you just get overwhelmed yeah. and you don't want that. You want to go back to a linear, awesome experience. That's how I kind of feel. And... With this game, it's a different style than King of Tokyo, so it can fit happily on the same shelf. And it erases any need for King of New York at all, except for if you're a completionist to get the standees. And even still, when you think the new versions of King of Tokyo, you can probably do that anyway. All right. So I guess the big question here is, and you maybe answered it then in what you just said, Leon, is, is it worthwhile having both? So just doing a quick a quick check. King of Tokyo is around about 50 to $55. Yep. King of Monster Island, $70 to $75. So there's a little bit of a difference. Obviously, we're talking completely competitive game versus completely cooperative game. Yep. What where do you sit, Leon? And like for someone, because this is this is still arguably a gateway game. You know, it's not it's not a heavy game. It's 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 a family party game sort of environment. All of that is good. It still only plays what, four players? 
Uh, four or five, I think. Five, yeah. yeah five. So, I mean, it's not your big group event. No. Uh, and it plays relatively quick. King of Monster Island certainly plays longer than King of Tokyo typically does. Sure. So, who's who's it aimed for? Like, who who needs both? Who just needs one or the other? Uh, that's, that's a very good question. Hence why I went, ah, to have some thinking time. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are very they are very different, as you said, and, and I think they're both worth owning for, for very different reasons. You could very much have this in the same area that your family has, say, your Pandemics and type of that and into their co-op collection, whereas I would always recommend King of Tokyo. If I had to recommend one over the two of them, it would always be Tokyo because there's no other game. There's no other game that still, to this day after 12 years, that scratches that itch of Tokyo of... For 20 minutes, we're going to roll these big chunky dice where big monsters smashing into each other. In that shorter time frame, anyway. There are other games that take a bit longer, a bit more complicated. Whereas there are other co-op games that do things not the same as this, because you're still rolling lots of dice, and so you've got the luck factor as well as the strategy factor. Uh, but yeah, so I think Tokyo is better in that aspect. But who's it for? People that like big monsters fighting. So everybody. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like very much... You should own the original if you're like beating up your friends and that that action, that fight, that competitiveness is what's driving you. Whereas if you've got a bunch of friends and maybe they get a little bit scared by, you know, some of your friends, as we know, can get over aggressive in games and not everyone can cope with that. So I think, you know, if you've got a group of friends that like to work out things, to do, puzzles to do together, maybe they do role-playing and they're used to working together to solve a problem. You're talking about these days where you role-play with these friends that you've now made, <laughs> isn't it? You know, drop your keys in one fishbowl and bring no, up the town. No, not at all. Um, you know, it's not then, much of a game if there's only two <laughs> cups. Anyway, move on. Then, you know, if you like to play games where you don't beat the crap out of each other, yeah. then there's that. But I think then there's also the, wow, we've really enjoyed playing the, the base. We want to do something different. As long as you're aware, Garth, that you read the back of the box and you know that it says fully cooperative and you actually understand there are cooperative games, yeah. then I think you could absolutely own both. Yeah, see, I, I'm almost going the opposite way and saying what I hope that this does is it gets gamers who traditionally would stick to you know your traditional games and it gets them to play a cooperative version of what is a very simple mechanic yep. rolling lots of dice and doing a thing mm-hmm. because i can speak of my family you know my my family love cooperative games and this i think would be that stepping stone to get that mechanic sorted out to then have the conversation around wouldn't it be fun if dad was the monster <laughs> wouldn't it be fun if this was you know that, that, that you yeah. got a chance to to you know lay the smack down on us which then allows that conversation to go, well, here it is. Yeah. So I absolutely agree that you can have both of these in your collection. I would argue that potentially if you had to choose one and you were buying it for a present, maybe, mm. you know, if you're going for a family, maybe buy this one over, yeah. over Tokyo. I mean, you can't get much of a higher recommendation than a game that we've been talking about for a decade because that's how long the show's been going for. Yeah. That's been out for 12 years. That it's new game similar has just come out and we would possibly recommend that over it but for different reasons i mean you can't go wrong with that it's definitely worth checking out and a 3d volcano dice tower yeah how cool is that anyway that's king of monster island by yellow yellow Um, yellow and obviously a fantastic copy provided to us by vr distribution thank you so much to them and to andrew garfield (laughs) and to andrew garfield 
for being the friendliest neighbourhood spider, Adam. <laughs> uh, poor, poor Tom Holland doesn't get a word in edgewise. Oh, he's okay. Um, anyway, let's take a quick break. Come back and talk more games. You're with The Dice Man Cometh. Hi, this is Random. These strange men beat me up and told me I had to say something to the microphone. So listen to their podcast. It is indeed The Dice Men Cometh, but you knew that already because you're halfway through the episode. Yeah. And we're going to talk about yet another game. Is it giant monsters cooperating, fighting on an island, Garth? No, but oh. we are going to talk about it now. Okay. Okay. And we're talking about Acropolis. Yep. Now. Yeah. Yes. First time I went to LA. <laughs> yeah. You know how LA, Hollywood, mm. all of this, you know, da, da 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 I know the airport. Do you want to guess the one celebrity that I saw in LA on my very first trip to LA? Well, it's one of two, clearly. <laughs> I was going to say, Nicole Kidman? Nick Giannopoulos. Nick oh, really? <laughs> Melbourne's own Nick Giannopoulos. Yep. So that's my connection. Was to he Acropolis out of work? Now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, to anybody out there under yeah. the age of 50, yeah. there was an old television show in the early 90s called Acropolis Now. You're welcome. Don't have to Google yeah, it. Don't it's Google fine. It. Continue. Okay. So Acropolis, now. which is also a, a game that's very generously provided to us, and, and that is wonderful. So thank you very much to... It was VR Distribution. VR Distribution. It? And this is produced by... Uh, Garth, it's G- VR Distribution, the most lovely distribution... VR people in Australia. Okay. Yep. Now. Sorry, what? I yes. for, I've forgotten how this game works. <laughs> and produced by Giga Mike or Giga Mick. We'll, we'll call, it, call it Giga Mick okay. is, the, is the publisher. I'll go Gamic. All right. No, Giga Mick. He's, he's one of the robots in <laughs> King of Monster Island. Nice. So at the heart of the Mediterranean, rival cities seek wealth and glory. The most talented architects in ancient Greece stand ready to achieve this goal. Build housing, temples, markets, gardens and barracks so you can grow your city and ensure it triumphs over the others. Raise its prestige with harmonious planning that conforms to specific rules and enhance it by building plazas. Stone is an essential resource, so make sure you do not neglect it. You'll need enough quarries so you can build higher up, making your city stretch towards the sky. Now, in Acropolis, you will be playing rival cities throughout the Mediterranean where you will have... mm, What shapes are we going to call them? Uh, sort of hexy triangle shapes. Hexy triangle ninjury throwing starry type things. You know what they look like to me? They look like drones. They look like fidget spinners. You know, you know, you know they do look they, like fidget spinners. They, I think they do fidget, like spinners fidget spinners or drones. Where they, oh, yeah. but maybe a drone with like three blades instead of four. Well, let's say that they're called city tiles, yep. and each of them are essentially three hexes stuck together. Yeah. Sorry, before you get stuck into this, Garth, I need to mention, you've talked about this game and mentioned a couple of times that it's set in the Mediterranean. You're going to talk about all the trading we're going to be doing, obviously. Well, yeah, absolutely. Okay. There is always trading in the Mediterranean. Yep. But not in this game. What? Oh, I that know. is insane. What, what? So what you're going to be doing throughout the course of this game is you are going to be building your city up and you will be doing so from the central um, sort of construction site is what it's called. Now, there are a truckload of city tiles that you will be starting this game with. Let's say that there are 61 of those in a four-player game. You use all of those, slightly less for two or three players. 
the backside of those tiles tell you which ones are appropriate for your play account. Lovely. You will also have stone, and stone is a resource. Now, it's the only currency of this game. It's what you're going to be using to expand and build your city. Now, you're going to have this construction site, which is always going to start each round with six face-up city tiles. The first tile costs you zero stone. The next one costs you one and two and three and four and five. So having stone is a very useful resource to allow you more flexibility to take the tile that you need for your city. I've seen that mechanic in games. Correct. Mm. This is one of them. Lovely. Now, the reason that you want to choose particular tiles is because there are five different types of buildings that you're going to want. They are going to be population-based buildings. Let's call them houses. <laughs> there are also going to be commerce-based buildings called markets. There's going to be... Or yellow ones if you can't be bothered. Correct. There's going to be fighty-fighty buildings called barracks. There's going to be religious ones. ones called temples. And then there's Perfect. going to be garden-based buildings. Let's call them gardens. Green. Yes. Yeah. Colour coordination. Theme, Leon. Yeah. Theme. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Theme. Not, Ancient not, Greek. Not colour. We're building cities. We're not building, I don't know, patchworks. Leon, the most talented architects in ancient Greece have gone to work on the getting these colours right, you know. Have they now? Yes, it says here in the description. Okay, good to know. So you, each of those five different types of structures are going to score points for your particular city in different ways. The houses, you will only ever score your largest contiguously connected block of houses. That's fine. Your markets... Well, no one likes being next to another market, so markets will only score points if they are not adjacent to any other markets. I hate being next to Mark. Correct. It's. It's. Sorry, yes, it's. I was getting there eventually. That's it's right. something you always get talk it. about, Leon. Get it, because his name's Mark and he's right there and we don't like him very much. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he can hear us. Barracks are here to defend your city. And what's the point if they're in the middle of the city? because they can't defend the city, so they only get points if they are on the outside of your city. I'd have to stop at all the houses and markets on the way out to like buy coffee and Correct. get the shoes shined and yeah. sharpen shorts, shorts, Correct. swords. Now, I don't shorts. know if you know this. I don't know if you know this about religious or temple temple stuff. They require lots of people. Because, Generally, yeah. You know, that's, that's how they grow their flock. Temples will get points if they are completely surrounded by other tile types. And then you've got gardens. No one gives a hoot about where the gardens are as long as they're in your city. Everyone loves gardens as long as there's some of them. Correct. So that's how you are going to score. If I have four blue tiles that are all connected and that's my city with the biggest thing, or no, a biggest connected block, then that may score me four points. But it may score me more points mm. because there is another type of building, which are plazas. Leon. Yeah. There are five different district types that I've just gone through. Yes. Do you want to guess how many different types of plazas there are? At a pinch, I'd say five. There are five. What about Martin? What about Martin? Martin Plaza. No. So, you will also find on these city tiles that you're placing certain plaza tiles. And these are essentially going to be your score multipliers. Ah. Because the plazas have different star numbers on them. And let's say that a housing district plaza has one star on it. What that means is at the end of the game, you will take the number of plazas that you have on the stars on them and times it by the number of districts of that scoring type that you will have. And you'll do that for your houses and for your markets and for your temples and for this and that. And that potentially could be your score, Leon, mm -hmm. if this game was two-dimensional. I was going to say, you did what? mention something about building it to the sky. Space and time factored in? Yes, and also, you mentioned about building to the sky, but also Grath, if that is in fact your real name. Well, it's better than market. Yeah. Uh, 
what about possibly getting more money? How is how are you going to do that? Or I'm, resources or stone, if you will. I am glad you asked because I can answer that question. S- Z. Yeah. The first part of that question yeah. is that you can build to the sky. I can. You can. And in fact, Mark, you can do that as well. Mm. Because instead of just laying out these city tiles on a big sprawling city that becomes hard to manage and you run out of table space, you can choose to place tiles on top of other tiles. Insanity. The only rule being that they have to be completely on top of other tiles and you need to cover up at least two tiles. Sorry, not cover up. You need to have placed them on at least two tiles. Uh So there can't be any overhanging bits and you can't just put one tile completely on the other tile. If and when you do that, you will activate the other type of building that I haven't talked about, which is a quarry. You said there was only five types. The reason I didn't mention quarries is because they don't even score your points, Mark. All they do is provide you with stone when you cover them up. Well, technically, at the end of the game, every stone you have is worth one point, so they do, (laughs) in fact, require, and you do get points from them. (laughs) Back to you, Gareth. See, I like marking one. <laughs> so yes, when you cover up these right. quarries, you will get I some get stone, it. which is a currency, which allows you to get more flexibility mm. to buying the thing. And yes, as the person formerly known as Leon suggests, stone is worth points when it comes to final scoring. Wow. Uh, the other thing about that is as you place tiles on top of other ones, any districts that you are placing on higher and higher and higher tiers are worth more and more and more points. So when you're just putting these tiles on the table or the gaming surface, each of those are worth one point individually. But if you happen to place them on one level above, each district becomes two points. And then higher again becomes three. And Leon, the next level, they're worth four. I did not see that coming. It only applies to the districts. It does not apply to the plazas, which are your stars that are your multipliers. They're yeah, always Mark. just worth the number of stars. Stars is Mark. Yeah. But this is where it adds that spatial element. And it's it's also where it adds a hell of a lot of tension because in the games we played, covering up stuff mm-hmm. is never as easy as I'm just going to cover up three quarries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're gonna go. Oh, yeah. gotta cover up two quarries, and then I've got to cover up a scoring thing, or I've got to cover up a a district that I really want to score that district, and I don't want to cover it up, but I need the stone to have the flexibility. Decisions. It's like it's a game. In our last game, I managed to cover up uh, only quarries. Um, just thought I'd let throw that out there. I also came nearly dead last. So <laughs> let's skip over that bit, but continue. So look, this game is not going to win any design awards. Hang on. I bet it probably did. (laughs) Let me stop you there because this game was nominated for the 2022 UK Games Expo Expo, not Sexpo, Expo Best Family Game nominee. And in fact, it won the 2022 UK Games Expo the UK Games Expo Best Family Game People's Choice Award, as well as the 2022 UK Games Expo Best Family Game Judges Award winner. So it won the People's Choice and the Smart Alex Choice, both categories. Yes, neither of which is about how it looks. No. No, but a lot of what would have people choose it is going to be how it looks as well as how it plays. Yes. And you're right. It's not a 
well, it's not called a design award, but to me, judges clearly are taking into account design. Maybe people's choice is just people going, hey, if I'm playing it, it looks nice. But no, they're saying they like the game. They're not saying they just like the look of the game. Anyway, it certainly did win an award, and that's only recently come out towards the end of last year, so I would say that's a sort of a resounding clap of approval there. Can I finish the sentence that you've interrupted me? So this game's not going to win any um, sort of artistic awards, but it actually has really solid gameplay, and I'm not surprised that this interruption mark highlights the fact that it did win a couple of design awards because it says on the box that it takes 20 to 25 minutes, and it takes 20 to 25 minutes. Including probably the teach, which takes... Once you've laid it out... And out in front of people with the player aids, which are very nice, it takes about two minutes to explain. Mm. If that. And yeah. the components, albeit very simple, are really high quality. The yeah. city tiles are super mega thick. Yeah. They're not little flimsy cards. The stone, oh my God, realism. They're grey cubes. <laughs> but the tiles, the city tiles, yeah. they're really, really cool. And particularly for a tile laying game where you're stacking and you're growing up as you said, towards the sky, the fact that you've got nice, chunky, thick tiles adds to the point of giving that... Look, it's not a massive 3D element, but it certainly makes it easy for you to to work out your score because you get bonus points for going higher. But it looks great as well. Yeah, it sure does. So I was really quite impressed with this game. Now, we talked previously about, you know, King of Monster Island and King of Tokyo. The cost of this game starts with... A three <gasps> in in terms of how much it's going to cost you to buy. Three and it dollars. doesn't have... We're not talking about how many digits, are we? No, it can be available for around $38, $39. Yeah. Now, when you compare that, not to King of Tokyo or King of Monster Island, which is more because there's more stuff in there, but when you compare it to games... And I'm just going to compare it to Scout because Scout <laughs> irks me because it's a deck of cards... Yep. It's essentially a game that's been out for several years, but mm. has just reached you know fame because of the the Spiel des Jahres. It's fifty plus dollars yeah. usually for a deck of cards. Yeah. Now this game is, let's say forty dollars for the sake of argument, but there are certainly prices under forty. It is really high components. It has a decent sized box where the insert is actually really good. Mm. And allows you to store the game really nicely. As you said, Leon, it comes with double-sided player aids, which are useful. It comes with a relatively thick scoring pad, which is really cool. It also includes in the game variants that you can then play. Because it then allows you to have a little bit more variety. And the variants are relatively simple. It might be, okay, we're going to play a variant where if you have a city that has at least 10 connected houses then those houses are doubled. So it encourages you to go hard in one particular type of building type. And that's kind of where the variants lie. They say, we're going to reward houses or barracks or temples or gardens or um, markets. So it, it's simple, but it's also that little bit of flexibility. I I think this game is pretty damn good value for money. Yeah, well, as we were playing it, um, I said to everybody, I said, basically, my review is going to come down to how much this cost. Because in terms of the game itself... If you got 10 different designers and locked them into separate rooms and said, right, what you're going to do is you're going to make a game for me. Uh, It's going to be a mix between Carcassonne and Azul, and it's going to have a Roman theme. I reckon probably 10 out of 10 designers would probably nearly come back with this exact game. So it's not 
like you said, in terms of originality, it's very, very similar to those games, both of which are classics in the genre by this point. However, in terms of Roman theme as well, yeah. the fact that it's Greek, yeah. very controversial. <laughs> Sorry. You know what I mean. I apologize. Mediterranean-ish, adjacent-ish. You know what I mean. So what I was going to say was, it all came down to what I said, because the components are so nice, as Garth mentioned, how much does it cost? Because if this game costs your 60 or your $70, which for the size of the box, it could have very easily done. And I was thinking, if it costs that much, it's it's not even... In, it's literally, this is a pointless game. Yeah. I would just say to somebody, buy a Zool or buy a Carcassonne, end of story. And a lot of people already own those games, so I'd say, you probably don't even need to play this game. It's good, but not amazing. However, at that price point, it does something very similar to those yeah. games, but slightly different, that you could own all those three games, I think, quite happily. Mm. They are very similar, so maybe you don't need to own all three of them. But at that price point, at that quality, to be a mix of games like that that are so good and so easy to teach, I think this is a, a sleepy winner, this one. Well, and certainly way, way, way better value if you already do own the bases all to buy something like this than to buy one of the dull and boring azul variants um not the queen's guard no well you know it, but it has it has the spatial element it has the colors it has the moving around sort of where you've got to visualize i know this is what my wife struggles with is that okay i've got to turn something around in my mind and work out what orientation is going to work but i can't really like just go oh, i could do that i could do that i could do that i could do that because that would just drive people mad um it has a lot going for it. It's simple to learn. I think the box says like eight plus. Mm. And my first thought was no. But after playing it, absolutely. An yeah. eight-year-old would get this concept because the scoring is relatively simple. But yeah, I, I think I think we're going to see this, this game do really well. Well, I hope so. Because it, it is, and I know we say it from time to time, but board games are expensive. Mm. And it's great to see a game that is not expensive that... Otherwise, maybe is not going to set the world on fire, but it just delivers. It, it is just going to give you a good experience. I can see my family playing this. The good thing about this puzzle is it is completely up to you to own your result. The only variability in this game is how much stone you're going to have, which is going to dictate the tile choices that you have. Apart from that, you are 100% in control of what you get to decide. And that's what you want from this kind of abstract game. There is no luck in it. And the other All thing, Garth, you. I remember you mentioned to us the best how to play video you found. Um, I don't remember the name of it because I don't pay attention to what you say. But it was kids. Kids were teaching the game and they taught it in like three or four minutes. They did. It was, it was something just like kidsplainers or mm. kidsplaining or something. And it was yeah. awesome. It was just these two presumably brothers and they did a cracking job. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, in the past, we've tried to avoid talking about price of games as much as possible because it should not really have a bearing on the game overall. However, at this day and age, the way that prices are, we have no choice now but to, to champion games like this that 
are a reasonable price. And if somebody said, how much would you pay for that? And you go, I would personally play no more than this. And that's how much it is or even less. That's amazing. That's the reason why we went on and still do, because I'm about to, about a game like Anno so much, because you can get that game for like 70 bucks. Mm. And there are some heavy Euros that are double that price that don't have as many components or as good a gameplay as that. So we're going to keep talking about it until we're blue in the face and everybody tries it and goes, yeah, those boys were right. And another game like this, very similar to that of, um, say, Living Forest as well, which is another game which filled an entire table for 30 40 bucks. Those type of games, I don't know how these designers do it, but if they can do it, probably tells me that a lot of other places can do it as well. So, you know, we're not saying we don't want people to bankrupt themselves. We want people to make money on this and have a living in board games, but they need to be a price that people are going, that is the price I would happily pay for it, and this is definitely one of them. Well, there you go. That was Acropolis, a Greek-themed game. <laughs> vaguely um and look we've come to the end of another episode we've squeezed out two great games leon your wife has squeezed out a daughter i hear you're not going to be joining us maybe for a little while to come which is what you said last time i did say that last see if it's true i definitely won't be on the next episode because i do have some fathering to do but however (laughs) i'm gonna make more no no no. (laughs) that's a different cut that that's daddying it's a different <laughs> Stop digging. Anywho, that's beside the point. Won't be on the next episode, but I might be on the ones after that, okay. depending on my schedule. But I, I, I don't know. However, the Patreon, mm. plug, plug. Please give us your money. They're the best episodes that we record. Uh, I will keep being on those episodes because anybody that spends their time to to give us money and support us, I will be here every time. And anyone who's thinking about jumping on the Patreon, I will say that at the end of this month, January. We're due to do another of our quarterly game giveaways, which all our Patreons get entered into. We've got a massive pile of games. May very well include some of these games we're talking about today because that's where a lot of them end up, in our massive giveaway pile of games. But gentlemen, yeah, I think the people have heard enough from us. Time to give their ears a rest. Absolutely. And Leon, thank you very much for making the time Mm. and congratulations again on the the birth of Scarlet. That is wonderful news for your wife and your son and I guess for you as well. Indeed. Um, You're more than welcome to join us on the golf course now, Leon, because that's a thing that dads do. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Anyway, you've been listening to episode 348 of The Dice Men Cometh. Join us again soon for more gaming goodness, but until then, goodbye. Bye. Rawr. My name is Adrian, I'm from the Board Game Barbecue, and I really like Garth's beard. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.